Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt and our short shares with Professor Paul Gilbert. In episode two, Paul speaks about certain research and clinical findings and observations that led him to bringing compassion to his clinical work and the development of compassion-focused therapy. In terms of the therapy, um, using a lot of cognitive therapy, because that's my primary modality, but this is a story you know well, um, there are a number of clients who would say, yeah, I can, I can see logically that I'm perceiving myself to be a failure or worthless or hopeless, but in reality, that's this isn't the case, but it doesn't really make any difference. Or I, could, I know that I wasn't responsible for my abuse, but you know, I just so feel I am. I just so feel I am bad. So one day with a lady who had had many diagnoses, bipolar, borderline, all kinds of things, who was uh, to, made a number of attempts in her life. And um, we'd been doing some cognitive therapy. She'd been adopted as a young child and not such a good, into such a good family. So, but she had made a very good relationship with her husband's children, lovely children, um, and good relationship with her husband. She said, yes, I know all that, but I can't feel it. So I said to her, well, when you hear that in your mind, you know, when you look at your alternative thoughts and you think to yourself, well, okay, so although I felt, you know, not wanted in early in my life and so on, actually now I've got a husband who cares about me and three lovely children, how do you hear it? And she was a bit embarrassed. And I said, speak it out as you actually hear it. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes. And so she said, okay. And she looked, she got her thoughts, which she'd been writing down. Come on, you're doing cognitive therapy, aren't you? I mean, you've got a husband who cares about you. You've got children. For God's sake, woman. <laughs> um, so it was a shock, actually. And I said, do you actually hear that like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, got to, I've got to make myself believe this. I've got to, you know. Now, to some degree, we played into that because we used to say to people, you know, how much do you believe that give us a percentage or whatever? But what I hadn't appreciated was that actually the criticism was not being carried in the cognitive it was being carried in the emotional channel, right? The hostility, even when they were coming up with these really helpful thoughts, but it was really quite hostile. Come on, this is the evidence, blah, blah, blah. So that was the first shock, really. And a number of clients, and I started asking a number of clients about this. And I had another lady who, you know, when you're very depressed, you need to get up in the morning, don't lay in bed, ruminating. <laughs> That's as funny as that. So, what you do is you put a card that they have to put on the side of the bed. This is old behavioral stuff, right? So you, so when she wakes up in the morning, she agrees to get up in the morning and do some yoga stretches, nothing too much, make a cup of tea, but not to lay in bed ruminating because she used to lay in bed ruminating about how bad she felt and the bad day is going to be terrible. And can I face it? So she, she did that. And she, <laughs> we asked her to have a sort of a compassion orientation to getting out of bed. So the, Week she turned up. I said, "How did that go?" She said, "That no, wasn't too bad." I said, "Okay, so what happened when you woke up and you remembered that your card, you'd written your card to get out of bed and do some yoga exercises? How did that work for you? What, what was that like?" She said, "Oh, that was okay. I looked at the card and I remembered, and I thought to myself, come on, get out of bed, you lazy bastard.'" What? <laughs> what? I didn't put that in there. Um, so it turned out that there was a lot of hostility behind this thing and that we wanted to so then we said okay well what would happen if you started to change that let's change the tone let's change the tone 
so that you actually tr create two things really that you really focus on a genuine desire to be helpful this we didn't really call it compassion then but this this let's get this motivation because at the moment your motivation seems to be you want to change force yourself to change let's change that motivation let's have a motivation which is much more about recognizing the pain that you've been in uh the suffering of, of depression and we're just going to go step by step like a good friend now cognitive therapy had things like what would you say to a friend but they weren't able to use that so just be like a good friend and be supportive and helpful to yourself and this client said you must be joking i'm not doing that <laughs> i think you've seen the video haven't you of this where she says no, no 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 that's that's weak that's wet that's what do you mean be kind i'm not doing that so the second um shock really about cft was that uh, they couldn't see the point of it. They didn't want to do it. Um, so that was a bit of a struggle. And what we discovered then is if you get run into what we call, we now call fear blocks and resistances, um, it's often because underneath there's unprocessed emotion. So with this particular lady, it was enormous unprocessed grieving. I mean, um, so I'll come to that in a minute. So, then the, so that was the second shock that actually quite a lot of resistance doing it um couldn't see the point of it when they started to do it didn't really like it so in the early days we had resistance to the model resistance to the exercises resistance to compassion <laughs> everything was resistance but we beamed away and a lot of those clients early days would tell us look okay i can't do this but i might be able to have a go at that and okay i can see what you're trying to do i'll, I'll try something different and so they came up with a lot of ideas of their own and then the third thing was that as we began to think about how we could engage compassionately with pain uh, we did that much more through history we didn't we in those days we didn't do a lot in terms of compassionate mind exercises so what we said to the client was okay well let's just have a look at what's been happening to you and but try as best we can to kind of hold those experiences in a compassionate frame a genuine understanding of what was happening what was going on so this particular client started to talk to me about what it was like in her early days when uh, she used to get beaten by her mother and she'd look out at the stars, she'd be sent to a room, she'd look at the stars and she'd imagine these stars becoming like a chariot for me. And her mother was out there looking for her. I mean, and this was incredibly moving. So she would be crying and I would be crying, the secretary, gardener listening now so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so when you get hit by this stuff i mean you know this uh, when you get hit when you get genuinely hit by a suppressed grief process i mean it, it's it's like you know overwhelming really this incredible emotion in the room so that was again a learning experience so that many of our clients have uh very deep unprocessed often dissociated grief for the love they never had the parent they wanted because every child comes into the world wanting to be loved, cared for, looked after, and to be seen as valued. You know, you want your parents to think, oh, you're wonderful, you're great, aren't you? Um, <clears throat> and if you don't get that, it leaves such a huge hole, either of great rage or great grief. So taking her through the grief process uh, was really quite fundamental. And that then began to, we saw a reduction in suicidality and the depression changed and and you've seen the video of this lady talking about this and she says i never realized i had that you know i just did not realize i, I completely shut off from it and you know what now i just feel things in different ways you know it's almost as if i've been living my life in black and white but now there's just color everywhere i just feel 
So those were quite important. So the process then was really <coughs> recognizing that a lot of the hostility to the South wasn't being carried so much in what people were saying. There was a, there was a degree of that for sure, but it's in this emotion, this, this anger with the South, and then underneath that, this unprocessed grieving. So that was that. And then in the hospital where I was working, um, they set up the day hospital along a Jungian lines. And um, so I got to work in a, a, a day hospital for four years uh, doing Jungian therapy, group therapy, with a lot of supervision. And also I should have said previously when I was in Norwich, I did two years psychodynamic group therapy there as well. So in those days, you could do all these different things. So that really, to, you know, in a, in a, in a nutshell, it's a bit of a lot there. So that's been my background through Africa, through the, the harsh days of boarding school, and then on into brain state theory. And I've always been, I am always basically a brain state theorist. And then trying to work out what are the motivational systems. So in 89, I wrote the book, Human Nature and Suffering, which is all about motivational systems, as you know. I my view was there wasn't enough understanding about motivation as the guide to everything, you know, motivation organizes your mind, basically, um, and so on and so on. So as they say, the rest is history. So that's my background, Stan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I mean, there's so much in there that I, I would love to go back and, and sort of explore more and whatever. But But it's just so interesting the way that life presents building blocks, doesn't it? You know, sometimes the, the blocks are very positive experiences or things that move us in a, you know, sort of that direction. And sometimes the blocks are, are, are the really hard stuff, the, the tough experiences, the suffering of our own or, or the witnessing of, of the suffering of others. But it, it just, they, they start to come together as, as building blocks. And, and for you, it, it, it began very early with, with all of those experiences back in Africa and then at high school, but then, at university and, and then the science came into it and then the therapy practice came into it and you've had this parallel or, or I don't know if it's parallel or just simply integrated kind of sense of the science and the practice and, and that those two things have constantly in, informed you. You're not sort of in a way worried about kind of labels or approaches, but rather just being guided by the science and, and, and really understanding I mean, you had that desire to, to have an integrated model of the brain sort of thing quite early. And people were like, oh, no, we don't do it that way or whatever. But that's where you arrived anyway. You know, you, you ended up with that. You, you, you created this very integrated, comprehensive sense of, of all these different aspects of, of, you know, psychology and neuroscience and brain science and, and even some of the wisdom traditions. You know, you, you have experienced that too, from what I understand. You know, you've done yeah. a lot of... Of work in that area as well and 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 always with this kind of like you say a motivation to be helpful you know working with people listening really trying to um kind of have a sense of, of what what can i learn from this you know what can i learn from this moment where, where where's the wisdom from my clients and 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 in a sense you know i mean that we we really take that guided discovery approach but that's been your approach to life in a way by the sounds of it you know just that that sense of what what's the wisdom in in this moment what, with what the client's saying with what the science is saying and just gradually kind of bringing that that sort of all together one specific question when did overcoming depression come out in amongst all of that Oh, that's interesting. So um, 
1992, I um, talked to the publishers and the, the original depression book was actually published in 84. I mean, I wrote it between 18 and 82, couldn't get a publisher. And then managed to, John um, Michael Foster picked it up for um, Psychology Press. So I was, again, he's, when you, we come to talk about people who've been helpful, he was another one that was without him. I don't know what would have happened. But um, <clears throat> so that was um, um, a big depression book. That was uh, really a, the second edition of really of a brain state book. Um, that was a big overview book. And then I also I'd done the counseling for depression book in 92 as well. Um, so um, Robinson's, who were a private um, publishing company, a lovely company actually, uh, had they did all kinds of things like they did the mammoth book of monsters and the mammoth book of science fiction. That's <laughs> quite incredible. I used to publish, but they were pretty good. And so they had a colleague whose name I can't remember from Cambridge and they decided, he decided he wanted to a set, he wanted to run a um, self-help set based on cognitive therapy because this is in the mid nineties, right? So the cognitive therapy was the, the name of the game in those days. And so they said, well, who's the guy to do depression? They said, oh, well, it's you know, Paul Gilbert, you want to get in. So I wasn't terribly keen on the idea about it, actually. But anyway, um, we had a discussion and it sounded great. So um, I said, OK, I'll have a go. I've never written a self-help book before, but I have a go. So, so I did. And they got a fantastic copy editor called Nancy Din. Again, wonderful woman who's helped me so much. So I wrote this I used to write my chapters and they'd have to go to the copywriter and then I'd get this thing back and there'd be red lines everywhere with one word left on the page. The. <laughs> <laughs> and in the margin, she'd say, you can't say this. This is incomprehensible. Nobody's going to understand what you say. Try and put this more simply. You've got these things in the wrong order. You know, what's on page three should be on page five. What's on page five should be. She was incredible. She worked so hard. Um, but she taught me how to write self-help. I mean, I'm not saying I'm any good at it, but she really, she really put a lot of effort into the first edition. Um, and it did pretty good. And so there was then more editions. And now people got very cross because it's got too big. But um, there we are. So there's, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing me for a fourth edition because it, the last one was 2009. So that's how that started. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and I think I remember you saying that um, that that, book sort of still remains one of your best sellers in a way it, it, yeah it's it a yeah. very popular book and and sort of had a big impact i think really with people because we started to sprinkle a lot mm -hmm. of uh, compassion focused stuff in this later editions as we were writing them and then by the third edition there's quite a lot on crt there because I mean, you know, cognitive therapy is, is terrific. I mean, it's a one, it's a wonderful array of interventions in cognitive therapy. Uh, but the way in which the people experience them, the motivation behind it—that's the issue we're interested in. And and because you did say a couple of times that you know you were interested in tone, um, you know, you were noticing these fears or, or resistances. Know, you, you were identifying grief and working with that, but you sort of said a couple of times we didn't really call it compassion then. So. Like, I mean, can you remember when the word, you know, really sort of started to appear in, in the work you were yeah, doing? Yeah, it's a great, great question, Stan. I know you've asked this one before. The, the honest truth is not exactly. Okay. So when did the word compassion first appear? And how did that become compassion-focused therapy? 
And for that matter, what is compassion? Find out about all of this and more in Episode 3 of Compassion in a T-Shirt, Short Shares with Professor Paul Gilbert.